1: Hey, I'm Roberta Plevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us for a month of holiday magic with the stories and guests that you've been asking for. Happy Holidays, Huns. Hey Hunbots and hun Rose. welcome to the first episode of Holiday Magic. It's that time of year and I like to give back with just really fun episodes, the people that you have been asking about, the stories that you have been asking about, The MLMs that you have been asking about. We have a really great lineup, and I could not think of a better person to start this year's Holiday Magic than the Dreams Jane Marie herself. This episode is so fun. It is unhinged. We talk about so many different things. And it's really worth it to listen to the Patreon version of this because there are some pretty funny tangents and stories that we go off on. From the early days of anti MLM to the big baddies of today, you are really going to enjoy this episode. And Jane is such a treat. She is so wonderful. I say this in the episode, but it really is. If it wasn't for Jane, I wouldn't be here right now. You wouldn't be listening to this. And it is just such a full circle moment. Such probably one of the coolest full circle moments for me. And I'm just so happy that you guys get to hear our conversation and be a part of it. I want to welcome our newest Patreon members. It is such a delight. I never thought this would ever happen in my entire life. But Leslie Nope has found not only the podcast, but the Patreon and joined. It is so great to have you. We also have Annie and Rachel Weatherly, which is so cool. Because this week on the Patreon, we watched a short film by Rachel Weatherly called The Downline. You can find it on YouTube. I will throw the link in the show notes if you want to watch it. It's a thriller. It is like, it is, it was good. It was really good. And after we watched it, I was like, I really need to talk to her. I want to, I want to see what's up. And I emailed her and I let her know that we had watched it. And then I find that she has joined the Patreon. So, so cool. Welcome. The Patreon has, we've been doing so many things and it's just kind of becoming a much more, Active community, and it's making me really happy. So, if you're into that, please join. Our Discord's going to be up soon. We're going to be doing watch parties and streams and all kinds of stuff in the new year. So, if that is something that sounds interesting to you, please come join the Patreon and join us. I also wanted to give you an update really quick about the Twin Flame episode that we just had. Lots of really great comments about it on the Instagram. It is something that I've wanted to look into and go a little deeper. I am in contact and talking to somebody this week, um, and we will be recording soon. There is a Twin Flame Universe Survivor episode coming up. I just wanted to give you guys that and hopefully get that up this month as part of Holiday Magic. Enjoy the new music. Enjoy this last month. It is my favorite time of the year over here at Life After MLM. And it's our third one. That's just wild to me. It's so much work, but it's so worth it. Enjoy this episode and we'll see you on Wednesday. So let's quickly talk Christmas scams before we get into this episode. Last year, I did um, additional bonus content at the beginning of every episode talking about different and various scams that you might accidentally get sucked into or, you know, fall prey to during this time of the year. I'm not going to rehash it all again. Don't worry. You can go back and listen. It's all still there. It's evergreen. It's a podcast. But I do want to rehash one that comes around every single year, and it's really important to let you guys know about it and nip it in the bud as soon as possible. So that's why it is the first episode of December we are talking about this, and it is, and I know you guys are like, I know what it is, I know what it is, I know what it is, say it with me, it's the Secret Santa scam. And I'm not talking about, like, legitimate Secret Santa where you bring a gift and everybody exchanges a gift and everybody leaves with a gift. I'm talking about the internet secret Santa. Sometimes it's called secret sister. And it's basically a version of a blessing loom, which is a pyramid scheme. And essentially it relies on getting more people into the scam. Uh, You might see something on Facebook that says, Hey, I'm doing a secret Santa this year. If you want to, you know, join comment below All you have to do is buy one gift, put your name on this list, and in the next couple weeks, you'll eventually get up to 36 gifts. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, 36 gifts for one gift, what a deal. And yeah, like if gifts could magically materialize, 36 gifts for one gift is a really good deal. I'm not going to lie there. That's great. But let's think about it like this. If everybody that participates buys one gift, right, we only have to buy one gift. Where do the other 35 gifts come from? Well, because it's a pyramid scheme, they are coming from the people who joined at the last couple days before everybody got bored and moved on, before everybody got a couple bottles of wine in the mail or a couple books or some chocolates or socks or whatever the secret Santa thing was this time. And those people are buying gifts and not receiving anything. I know it is very fun to participate in those things. If you get in early, I've seen it in the comment section where people say, well, I got like 10 things, so I'm good. And I get it. I do. But we also have to realize that that's 10 people that aren't going to get anything somewhere because 10 gifts are now out of the running into the gift pool. Because again, everyone only brought one gift. So if you want to do a gift exchange, I highly advise not doing any sort of secret Santa, secret sister, secret gift exchange, anything like that. I've even seen like secret Santa dog where you send dog treats and think about all those lonely dogs that aren't going to get any dog treats. So like if you can't think of anything else, think of those dogs. Oh, he didn't get any treats. You don't want to leave a dog treatless on Christmas, do you? I didn't think so. Don't participate in these. They're scams. Please, please, please. If you want to have a secret Santa, secret gift exchange, whatever it is, by all means, do it. I have one with my friends every single year, and it's really fun. But you buy one gift, you exchange one gift, and you get one gift. And that way, everybody leaves with something, and nobody is disappointed stay safe this holiday season. Don't get scammed. Don't shop on shady websites. Don't give your credit card information to people you don't know. Don't Venmo random people on the street. Keep yourself safe. Keep your money safe. Keep your family safe. And let's enjoy the rest of the year scam-free. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. You guys have been asking me for this guest for so long. I'm not going to keep you waiting any longer. It is Jane Marie from The Dream. I am so excited to chat with you. It is wonderful to see your smiling face on the other side of the screen. same I'm pumped to be here. This is wonderful, Roberta.
2: How are you? I'm good. I'm weirdly good. I don't know when the last time we talked a few months ago, I guess, maybe. Yeah. In the winter, but I'm doing great. Yeah.
1: You have this incredible podcast, everybody always says, "Have you heard the dream?" They say, "Oh, I have so many funny stories about when I heard the dream and how I heard the dream. I have heard of the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Jane is the host of this incredible show. The first season was about debunking multi level marketing and taking it all the way down to the roots and then season two was wellness, right? uh-huh, yep, and season three just launched, and it is about the coaching coaches to coach industry, yeah all of <laughs> All the coaches. <laughs> it
2: comes with that. Yeah. It's really the structure of this season is a real
1: mind bender, but stick with it and it's fun. Yeah. Some stuff happens. I'm really excited because this it's not completely out yet. You only have a couple episodes per when we're recording now, but when this comes out, it might be out. So I don't know. There's two
2: or three episodes, but you can also subscribe on Pushkin Plus. Don't tell them I told you this, but you can subscribe and then cancel. And you get a free week of listening to the entire season right now. Oh, look at that. Yeah. That's a good hack. So you do have to put your credit card info in, but then you can cancel (laughs) as soon as you're done listening. Oh, no. They're going to see this video. (laughs) Oh, oh. (laughs) no. No, they're probably – everyone banks on you not canceling, but. No, it's all there. Episode one through nine. We're going to do one last episode that's like a listener episode of the call, you know, people calling in. Those are always so fun.
1: Yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of people that call in and have a lot of stories. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's wonderful.
1: It's incredible. I, I would say this community, like MLM, and then, you know, I dive into like true con. So I've got a couple other fingers and a couple different pies. But this community, the wellness, the the coaching, the MLM, Mm-hmm. The scam fluencers. Yeah. The people that have come out of it and are on the healing side of it are so helpful. They're so kind. They're so wonderful. They're like, I have a story I can share with you. Generous
2: as hell. Like, I, Aaron Bees and DC and Jennifer Ryla, who are all instrumental in helping me make this season. Never once was there like pushback about like, this is going to you know, be used on this show, it's like we all understand the cause and are willing to help each other. Right. Because it's really important. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that's really rad. Yeah.
1: I I love how the community comes together. It makes me very proud because Back in the very early days of The Dream, I listened to The Dream while I was making the Vice documentary. Uh-huh. While we were recording that. That was back in 2017-2018, right? 2018, yeah. We had started research in early mid
2: 2017 for that season. So, I bet when we started looking into it, you were still in and I would yeah. love to catch you then, right? For the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, I left in like September because it was right around my daughter's birthday. So it was about seven years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Wow. It was a different thing. But I didn't know anything when I came out of MLM. I was just like, this is not a business. And then I watched Leah Remini and Mike and I was like, oh, it's a cult. And then I listened to The Dream, and I was like, oh, it's like an industry. And hearing I, your show was the first show I ever heard Robert Fitzpatrick's name. Oh. And I remember driving up to Corona because we were with the crew of Vice, and we were going to ambush Rose's offices because, you know. <laughs> what you do? Guerrilla journalism, you know, just like, we're just going to show up. Yeah. And we were chased off the premises by their security. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't film here. You can't film here. I thought you were going to say by a dog, by a guard dog or something. <laughs> I mean, they were like puffed up and they were like, standing, you can't film. You can't film. And they like made like, <laughs> like a human gate kind of. It was very strange. But I remember pulling up right before they did that. And I got out of the car and I ran over to the vice crew. And I was like, you guys have to look up Robert Fitzpatrick. Like, you have to listen to this podcast, The Dream This is exactly what I've been trying to tell you, but so much more succinctly, (laughs) so much more like informative and educated. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm connecting. And it's so much deeper than I thought. But this is what this is. And I just remember at that moment being like, oh, this vice thing is going to be huge. Yeah, And not thinking at at anything other than like, I'm (laughs) hell hath no fury. I was like, I'm going to tell everybody that you guys are scammers. And I would just remember like going oh, there's a podcast. Oh, there's like, this is coming. Like, oh, people are talking like, oh, this is going to be big. Yeah. Riding the wave. I I was, I didn't even know I was on the wave. (laughs)
2: It all happened at once. It was wonderful. And in fact, it has made my job so much easier. That first season, getting people to like sign on to be subjects in the show. I mean, obviously Robert and all the anti-MLM old guard. 100%. Literally old guard, like 80 year old men. Uh, It's a bunch of 80 year old white guys who I love, but like when you do a virtual conference with them and I won't name names, but some of them are like in their lazy boys and their laptops are like Mm -hmm, open and looking mm -hmm, at the mm -hmm. ceiling, you know, and then they're just like grumpy and very curmudgeonly and being like, I can't see you. And they're like, I can't see you either, dude. Anyway. Oh, no, I've been in those zooms. (laughs) Yeah, that's who was leading the charge. And then a bunch of young ladies started doing it, but. Yeah, the, since, you know, about a year or two after the first season came out, like, finally a call around and I'm like, do you want to talk about this on this show? And some people are like, no, but some people, people are way more open than they used to be. Way more open. Yeah, it's wonderful.
1: That was another one of my questions. Just each season, mm-hmm. and the more that the awareness for this grows and the more that the community around the awareness for this grows, you're finding it easier to find mm-hmm. these subjects You're finding it easier to, like, bring this awareness and people are like, yeah, I'm down. Like, when do you want to record? It's all, I mean, look, it's
2: still as difficult as it always is to find a good talker. I got very lucky with Erin and Jennifer, but they weren't the only people we reached out to, you know, but it's it's hard to get a good storyteller, like someone who can be introspective and, like, you know, tells anecdotes and all that sort of thing. So that's just, that's been story of my life since producing radio for 25 years, but I didn't, I don't get shut down as quickly. (laughs) So at least the conversation can kind of get like a little bit started. (laughs) And then, yeah, the pool of people we have to choose from is growing every day. And that's really. Yeah.
0: So,
1: I mean, along the same thread, let's talk a little bit about like what anti MLM looked like then versus now. Like you mentioned the old guys, and it really was. And I started working. With them and they were like, oh, it just took a bunch of like young blood to get in and like actually make some waves. Yeah, it
2: looked like so there was the Mommy Guyver blog when we started, I remember. And that's a a LuLaRoe seller. There was a small community on Reddit, smallish. I don't think more than a thousand people or something. And now it's like up to 800 or something crazy or 300,000. I don't know. Yeah, the anti-MLM Reddit. It's hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, but it was pretty small at the time. There was, I'm trying to think of the resources. There was like the pink something. Pink Truth. Pink Truth, yeah, the mm-hmm. the anti-Mary Kay. Tracy's website. Uh-huh. But it really felt kind of, and no offense to anyone who was making those websites, but it felt like a bunch of disparate cities sites. Right. Like it wasn't... <laughs> Nothing was polished. It was very DIY and very small. The community was small. And if you talked to one person in it, you had basically talked to everybody. You know, they all, everyone talked to each other at that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had like Salty Droid and Quack Watch.
2: Yeah. Quack Watch. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And Robert's website and all of his work. Yeah. And there were also, I think the other thing that was happening then were like lawsuits that probably weren't going to go anywhere but lawyers that were doing class actions and stuff and publishing a bunch on their blogs. So you could get information about class actions, but it didn't ever feel... It took a while for it to feel like a movement. You know, it felt like a bunch of pissed off people who were scared of getting sued. And by the way, not to brag and not to provoke, but I've never gotten anything. No cease and desists no lawsuits, nothing. Same. Because you know why? You can't sue the
1: truth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I tell everybody when they come on the show. And like anybody that feels like they have a juicy enough story that they're like, am I going to get pushback? And I go, look, you're telling your story from your experience. Uh, you know, don't accuse people of doing things that you don't have factual proof of. Don't provoke what you don't need to provoke. Yeah. Just tell your story from your heart, like how you remember it happening. And if you have to fudge some things, then you say, you know, allegedly, in my opinion, or things like that to sort of be able to tell these things. But I, I also tell people, like, if if I'm editing this and I'm like, I'm going to cut it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm going to cut it out. Of course, you have an editor, you're an
2: editor, and you have an editor. And of course you will. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't want to hurt people for being on your show. So we had to make a lot of – we had to calm people down in that first season. Not the people you'd think. Not the people who made themselves look bad. Really? It was always the, like, good guys that were worried. Right. The people that were bad guys don't care. Right. Because they're bad guys bad guys don't care that they're bad guys
1: also i think there's like a a level of hubris with a bad guy that makes them think that the only reason you're there is to praise them so like why not let's go yeah yeah i always say like
2: assholes don't know or care that they're assholes like they don't care they're like yeah i mean maybe that's the name you have for it i'm calling it killing it in the game or whatever (laughs)
1: okay oh my gosh okay so there's probably people listening right now that are like, I've never even heard of the dream. And Mm -hmm. so let's give them a little tiny bit of your background as to how you, well, first of all, here's another thing you used to be part of this American life, Mm -hmm. which is like my favorite podcast of all time. And the podcast that even got me to download like a podcast app and actually download episodes to my iPod back in the day and like, listen to them on my car radio.
2: It's so weird to have someone call it a podcast to me. Like, I used to, there was a guy that was a a cruise ship pianist who we had part-time in the office back in 2000, 2000, like around then. His name was Brian, I think. And he would come in very part-time when he was off the ship. And he would make the cassette tape orders that people would order on the website of This American Life. He would make the dupes. And then we like switched from that to CDs, which was kind of a nightmare because we didn't have permission for all the music and the people. So we had to like go back to everyone and get new releases because like CDs got invented. Anyway, and then we were burning CDs and we had this, these like, this is so dorky, but we had like that. I'm even talking to you about this. Like, why am I talking about this? But we had these because it's fascinating. We had these like 10 CD burners, you know, you put the original one in the top and then you put 10 blanks and you built you burn the CDs and then you mail them out. To the listeners that paid $3 or whatever for it. And it was years before we thought, okay, let's go on iTunes or something. And that's yeah. kind of when the change happened. It's an interesting perspective to have been there when that happened. Like when people making audio realized, oh, I could make an MP3 and upload it to the internet. Right. And then you can listen to it and put it in your car. Right. Like I had a podcast player that, that was like this big, it was $25.
1: And it stored about three episodes of something. Wow. I loved this American life. And I would listen to it on the radio when it was on the radio on Sundays, if I could remember, mm-hmm. which I'm very bad at because of ADHD. So I would always miss it. Like I would catch it and it would be the end. And I'm like, no, like, and I was so upset. And I always missed it. So when it became available, as a podcast i was like oh i can catch up nice i mean never caught up ever in a million years <laughs> but i loaded my ipad up with just so many episodes that's how i discovered mike berbiglia who is like oh, yeah. one of my favorite comedians the best a dear man a very dear man the t-bone story was like my one of my favorite episodes of all time i listened to it so many times dan savage on the show my sweetheart yes early like (laughs) so good so So i just have to tell you before i ever knew i wanted to do this for a living like your show was this like oh this show is so good you have to listen to this show you have to listen to this (laughs) It was my favorite, and it got me through so many long drives. Well, it's Ira's show, and I'm just one of his trained monkeys, but... Right, Ira's show.
2: I got good at it. It took 10 years or so, but... Yeah. I miss those days, because we broadcast live on that show. Right. I'd be like running down the hall, like making edits on something, and then rolling it off to tape. You know, like, whatever. Anyway,
1: olden days. Yeah, olden days. So that was your early start. That was my early work. And then you decided to start the dream so let's pick up there yeah in
2: between that I was pitching around like a sex advice show okay and I called Gimlet because one of my colleagues from this american life started gimlet alex and i said do you want to do a sex advice show and they were like that's not really our brand and i was like okay and then a couple of weeks later they were like just kidding we want to we're going to do the tinder podcast oh. <laughs> Do you want to be a part of that and i was like uh, yeah so i hosted the tinder podcast for a few seasons it was really fun And then from that, did a bunch of like gig work and stuff. And then The Dream. And I will say for the listeners who don't know what The Dream is, it is a limited series. So it's like, I don't know, a dozen episodes every season. They follow kind of an arc of a story. All the episodes sound slightly different, but there is like a story being told each season. It's not your typical like Two people talking in a room who think each other's funny like this one is, you know? (laughs) And I do get a lot of time to edit what I'm saying. So, you know, I sound very different. Not as different as some people when they're casually
1: talking. I'm talking about the daily. (laughs) I added a lot of ums and uhs, and you know what I mean? Out. And I'm like, I sound so fancy.
2: Yeah, I sound so <laughs> fancy. But some people, their VO when they're reading from a script sounds so different than them in conversation.
1: But yeah, that's the show
2: is like a limited series kind of thing. We've been asked a few times to make it a weekly, and I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I can't. I have a child. It's a lot of work, Jane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have a child to raise. Flying Northern Michigan. My child is now 12, so she's kind of like on her own now. Mine's 10. Oh, well. Yeah. So you know. We're getting there, man. I mean, I'm like, ugh. Mom life. Mom life, podcast life. Aren't those the number one podcasts? We should do that. Yeah. How fun. Do a spinoff. Do a spinoff? Yeah, let me just throw more podcast episodes into my schedule. (laughs) During your hiatus that I just made you commit to, you need to be recording another podcast. Just so you know, if I take a hiatus in 2024, it's because Jane made me (laughs) so you guys can't get mad. I'm serious. (laughs) I
2: always want my friends to have more money and to be happier and have more time. So I will just encourage you to always do that. Just please have more time to yourself and charge more. Gonna start working on that too. (laughs) Yeah, we're scared to say that, but a lot of people aren't. You know, you know how I'm talking about. Wink, wink. I
1: do. Yeah, I do. So, what was (laughs) the first season of the dream was was MLM? So, what was the focus? Like, what was the inspiration of you to be like? I want to tell a story about multi level marketing. Oh, actually, so we got after the Tinder show, we got a call from
2: Laura Mayer, who was a executive at Stitcher, and she was calling around to try to find a production company and a creative partner to figure out what a show about this world would be like like she a bunch of her friends from high school were the same people basically as like my people from high school and she said this is just a weird world i want to know more but i don't know what shape it should take and like what the show is and then i did my annoying thing where i like kept her on the phone for two hours (laughs) Just telling her stories. And then I was at the end of the call, I was like, maybe, you know, I might be able to find time to like host this thing or report it. I mean, I'm happy to produce it. And producing really does, I would still have been able to do pretty much the same thing, like the writing and the story crafting. But anyway, I floated that. And then she called back, I don't know, a few days later and was like, yeah, how about you do it? And then it was very much kind of you're on your own we had a few meetings here where we did like big group brainstorms but they basically let us make whatever we wanted to make and i the reason i kept on the phone for a couple of hours is because i have so many friends and family members that are doing mlms or have done mlms and it's just like been a part of my life since day one it took a while for me to realize there was something weird going on right but i've known since probably my teen years that like something's Something fishy's happening yeah. here. I have an uncle who just says he got a new job all the time, and then he'll be like, "It's herbal life Do you want to?" Show-? I'm like, "No, no, thank you. That's not getting <laughs> a new job. It's insurance." It's. <laughs> I wanted to say to him, like, Uncle, his name is Joey. Joey, this is not what people mean when they say they got a job. Like, this is not the same thing. No one hired you,
1: <laughs> right? People ask me like the red flags, and I'm like, well, if you had to pay to become a, a, an employee, then that's kind of a red flag to me. Yeah. Yeah. And they say, Oh, well, it's for inventory or it's for you gotta be a product, the product. It's you're still paying to you're still paying. Yeah. It's not just a uniform or like anti slip shoes so you don't fall. It gets a whole thing.
2: Anyways. <laughs> that's the genesis of the of the dream. And then after the first season we were kind of given freedom to pitch something else, you know, and make a season that we wanted to make. And then there were a couple of years there where we didn't make anything. And I I think people think it's because I had a lot going on and I didn't. I mean, I did, but it was more the ownership of the feed was not mine entirely. And so it took a couple of years, like all these companies were getting acquired and the ownership of my show got very complicated, very fast without me knowing.
1: Ah, okay.
2: Yeah. So it was, I had to like, get Lawyers and stuff, and like spend a lot of money. But it took two years, and I finally bought the show fully from some randos that suddenly owned it without me knowing. That's for another podcast.
1: It's a very like scooter Braun, Taylor Swift situation. Yeah, it felt like that. Wow.
2: You're just like, okay, thanks. It was really hard to be nice to people on the phone, you know, when we're trying to negotiate stuff, and I'm so hopping mad and I just want to get back to work. Right. And, uh, It was very difficult. It was really depressing. But anyway, we finally got it back late last year. And we're like, oh, my God, we get to make something again. This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I could have made something and started another, you know, a whole other brand or something. But I really like my job. Yeah. And the only thing standing between me and doing my job was just like some red tape that no one cared about but me. Yeah. And my lawyer, I guess, you yeah. know.
1: I talked about a couple of the culty coaches and, and people and scams and stuff like that last year. I've talked to Jennifer Ryla and Aaron Bees actually about those same exact issues on the show. Great episodes. You guys should check it out if you haven't. What made you or inspired you to go into the coaches coaching coaches? It was a lot of
2: fan input, a lot of people. I mean, it was already kind of there, you know, like right. the wellness season it came up a bunch and so it felt i think we internally in the office had an idea that that's where we would go but then we just got so many people who connected with season two about wellness and said oh you should really look at the coaching industry and then i just so happened to live in los angeles which i would venture to guess is the coaching capital of the world because there's people who want to get famous and then there's people who wanted to get famous right. so those make up the customers and the
1: coaches <laughs> Right. It's like, like very, like, I don't know if you ever watch Barry, but like, yeah, the failed actor, like as the acting coach being the coach and getting everybody in. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So that's, yeah, that's where that (laughs) came from. And also, I have an idea for season four that I don't think I can talk about yet. But this one, the coaching season needed to come before it in the the arc of our tale that we're telling at the dream. Yeah,
1: right. I get that. I absolutely get that. Because there's a lot of times where people reach out to me and they're like, oh, you're covering Colt. You have to talk about this. And I'm like, that is very heavy. And I want to. It cast a slot in at the right place. There's a couple steps to get there yes. first. Yes. So let me think that maybe that is six months from now. And then I'm going to work yeah. backwards and like find those people to answer those questions. Exactly. I totally get that. You're a real pro. We have a lot of heavy conversations on this podcast, and I don't want people to be like, well, I'm never listening again. I want people to go, wow, that really made me think about things and made me ask myself questions and, you know? Yeah. And I think we would never be able to have the really heavy conversations that come up on the show. Oh, trust
2: me. I've already gotten so many bad reviews on Apple Podcasts for this season's episode two where I'm crying the whole time. (laughs) But like I went through a Listen, dear listener of Roberta's podcast. (laughs) I went through a breakup, and all the rest of the stuff we all went through during the pandemic, and I was depressed, and I was kind of complaining about it, and I was complaining about it to my ex on tape. Of course, I was crying every once in a while, so don't give me a hard time, but that that episode, people have been really like being like, oh, a little whiny host. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, we don't care. We like, don't <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I don't make this, like I'll get like a comment and it's fine. Like I love constructive criticism because I'm trying to make the show better all the time. But when people are like me, I'm like, why? What is the point of this? Don't take your time
2: out of your day to do that. But yeah, I actually don't care about the negative comments. It's just funny that people have that, that we do have to consider it and go like, oh, maybe not two crying episodes in a row. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Mine is, oh, I did too many MLM episodes in a row and not enough cult episodes in a row or too many cult episodes in a row and not enough MLM episodes in a row. Or, uh, yeah, you're trying to find a balance and not turn people off. Yeah. We can't talk about purity culture, but we can't talk about this, but this and just, yeah, it's just part of it. It's part of it. And what you care about and what you care because you're the host. Right. You find a balance, you work with what works, you go with what the audience is asking for and what they're saying, we really need to dig into this. Also, a lot of this really heavy stuff is hard. I got to break it up with funny stuff. It's just like, I've had conversations where I'm crying and I'm like, oh, we just need to take a second because I got to collect myself. I know that. Absolutely. Like my show is 50% jokes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think, right? Would you say? Yeah. It's a lot of joking around. And like funny music and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So like you said, you know, you mentioned season four, you have some ideas. Mm -hmm. Got to tell this story. I'm excited that you're already thinking for season four and that there's like building up to it.
2: Yeah. There is a very specific character study that I am not one person, but like a type of person that I am so curious about. Mm -hmm. And we're going to figure out what's up with them. Yeah, I like that. And they're not life coaches and they're not wellness gurus and they're not MLM leaders. There's something else. They're bigger than that.
1: Yeah, I like it. I feel it. I feel it. I like that. That makes me happy. (laughs) Like aside from these negative comments, like how has it been producing the dream and watching this community grow and seeing more people come and learn and go, oh my gosh, I'm learning things. It's been awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, like the time where I had to wrestle the feedback from a
2: bunch right. of corporate people I had never met before was tough and depressing, but it's been awesome. Are you kidding me? Like, again, we haven't been sued or anything. So none of the things I was really scared about in the beginning, none of those have happened. We, I don't know, I feel like the feedback has been 99% positive And the press likes it it's a you know the landscape is very i will say it's very different from when we put out the first two seasons i'm not two blonde ladies who think each other's funny and hot (laughs) jane (laughs) i'm not blonde and i'm not two ladies and i don't you know i do what i'm talking about so those podcasts are kind of i'm having to like weed whack my way through the
1: it is interesting sometimes when you see certain podcasts and or certain things and it just i had a lot of episodes this year talking about like the ethical aspect of creating this type of content because we are talking about people in true crime and true con and trying to be ethical about that and i do i sometimes i see people and i'm like okay you do you girl yeah that's how People love it. Yeah. And that's fine. There is a whole group of people that love that kind of content. And that is what that is for. And I say, this is not for you then. Yeah. It's just different than three years ago. So that's been interesting putting this
2: new season out. But like, look, yeah. I don't, I feel like what the podcast did was say something out loud to a lot of people who wanted to say it out loud. Like we weren't uncovering something that was completely unknown. It was more right. giving permission to a bunch of people who didn't think it was okay to talk about their experiences and that's what every expert we talked to in the first season said you know there's just the dominant narrative is not the true narrative it's not the truth right and now I feel like we are and that just makes me feel like a cornball for being like that's what journalism's for is revealing the truth and you know (laughs) but it's true (laughs) it's that that is what it is that's the good feeling you get to have as a journalist is we're putting something out there that people should feel okay talking about. Right. Yeah.
1: So after 3 seasons, do you feel that MLM is getting better.
2: No, they have teams of lawyers that are doing things to make them look like maybe they're trying to be better. You know, like there's more income disclosure right. statements or people being like, Yeah, I understand that 99% of people don't make money, but I want to be a one percenter and you do too. You know, like that's very much more the story. But you're not average. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going to be a one percenter. That I, I guess they're using that as a selling point more now. But if you. Listen, if you have a legitimate business, <laughs> there is absolutely no reason you would run it that way. You would not go for an MLM if your biz was legit. And especially if your biz is legit and you're a good person, Like, right. there's no reason. But what I found in my reporting, and I'm not saying there's any specific companies I can point to right now, but what I found in my reporting is that the MLM model comes first. Right. They decide they want to run an MLM, the amorphous they, all the people that own these companies. But they say, oh, that sounds good to me, that kind of business model. And then they figure out a product or they figure out a scheme or whatever. Again, if you just had like a regular business, you would not – you would pay your employees. Yeah, you would. (laughs) And and you would try to get into Target. (laughs) Right.
1: You would want to be on the (laughs) shelves in like every major – big box store ever like costco mega packs and the whole shebang yeah yeah so good
2: yeah you'd want to compete with the market am
1: i being obnoxious though is this like so mean of me to say but it's true no you're not being obnoxious at all no not at all let's talk about (laughs) you talking with joe mariano (laughs) oh god in this very room
2: (laughs) i was sitting in this chair Oh, wow. He was right over there. Would you ever speak to him again? Oh, Joe wants to come back here and talk to me. I'm available anytime.
1: (laughs) Do you think he would talk to you again? I don't know. if I don't know. After everything that you've done to help open up the awareness. I don't know if he would
2: talk to me again, but I would welcome it is what I'm saying. I don't know. I know. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Right. And I would say like what you said about it hasn't really gotten better, like especially on the back end, like the letters that came out from the FTC in 2021, it was a slap on the wrist and it made a lot of these MLMs go, oh, we got to tighten up ship. And they changed a couple things. But again, did they though? in the grand scope of things? It doesn't change anything. It only cleans them up. Well, like Amway made people. I mean, this is ridiculous. I know, you know that we're on the same page here, but like Amway made people decide whether or not they were going to be an IBO. And if they weren't going to be purchasing things as an IBO, then they had to choose to be a preferred customer and the 90, you know, all the things.
2: Yeah, the thing that Joe Mariano basically made up in the room with me, essentially, to try to differentiate. Right,
1: to differentiate the Amway rules versus the Costco rules and all of this. And so, you know what happens when you become a
2: preferred customer of any MLM? They never try to recruit you again. (laughs) what are they talking of course the whole thing still is you have an upline and they want you to buy more stuff and they want you to sell it to people absolutely you still have to amway your home and become a product of the product or whatever (laughs) none of that changes depending on what
1: you want to call yourself in the pyramid Uh, like Like Amway coming in and putting big black X's on all the non Amway products in your house and being like, let us know, you know, once you've replaced this and thrown the big black X's away so that you're fully 100% Amway. Yeah. And yeah, like in the media, in big quotes, do MLMs look better? Maybe. But like the people that actually know what's going on, I don't think anything has changed. In fact, the only thing that I think is they've gotten better at learning how to hide it because they're like, oh. Well, they know we're doing this thing, so we're going to call it something else, or we're going to change it, and we're going to make you a preferred customer. And it looks like they care, but they don't. They also got a handy-dandy pandemic,
2: (sighs) which they took full advantage of. so gross. The profiteering in the MLM world off of tragedy and loss is all over the place, and we knew that already, but at least those FTC letters put it in plain writing. Right that a lot of these companies were using that to recruit and to sell products and all of that. I, but the letters, again, I like Sam Levine, the guy who's right. a consumer production dude. I like him. And they are in the same spot they've been in for decades. Like they don't have resources. They don't have the backing of, you know, the FBI and stuff. Like they need, someone needs to oomph them up. But In the grand scheme of things, do MLMs hurt more people than credit card fraud? (laughs) No. No. So we do need the FTC on that. Right. Do MLMs hurt more people than, you know, telemarketers that call your grandma and ask her to send her social security number? No. 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 So they have things to do, but it's stupid that it's all one agency. Yeah. So frustrating. Yeah, That's the change I want to see. Like, I definitely love that people are talking about it more. I like that they're getting scolded in these companies. But what I would love to see is for Congress or some imaginary president, which will never happen, um, for them to come out and say, actually, consumer protection is way more important than we thought when we started this agency. We did not understand how much fraud there was in this country. And with the advent of the internet, it is rampant and it is scary and it is draining people's bank accounts. And so we're going to set up a different agency that's not the FTC. right? It's not the Federal Trade Commission. It's the fraud guys or whatever they want to call it. And that's all they do. (laughs) And there's enough of them. I'd be all for that. That, That's when I would feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere.
1: Yeah. Like a dedicated fraud task force with their own offices and their own everything, their own budget. Yeah. Because to put like the office that handles false medical claims of
2: like products, like the FDA doesn't necessarily put those letters out when it's the FTC. When someone says this will cure COVID, those folks also have to do credit card fraud. Right. They also have to do identity theft of all sorts. It's just too
1: diluted. Yeah. Yeah. This is so dorky. Oh, my God. I'm not trying to ruin your podcast. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. not ruining anything. It's fantastic. Well, you do have a book coming out too. I do. Yeah. Yeah. In March. Okay. Selling the dream. It's more about the...
2: Selling the dream. Yeah. It's more about the characters in season one and a lot of characters we haven't dug too far into, but it's really about all the people that like created this business model. It's a historical review sort of, but it's funny and fun. It's a romp until it's not. That's what my book publisher says. (laughs)
1: It's like a more zhuzhed up Ponzinomics. Kind of. Yeah. Ponzinomics with the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I love Robert. Poor Robert. We
2: love you. <laughs> He's a curmudgeonly old man, and I think he likes that. Oh, yes. Like, it wouldn't be a problem for him to hear me say that. Like,
1: he knows. No, he knows. Yeah. I remember when I first met him, he had me call him just to make sure that I knew about MLMs before he was willing to put a lot of effort into it, right? Me too. (laughs) Just have a little phone call with you. How long was your first
2: phone call with Robert Fitzpatrick? Oh, well, Dan did it, thank God. But he was very much like, why are you trying to talk about this? What's your intention? I think he thought that we were like pro MLM or I don't know what he thought but he really vetted us and we were just like listen dude I know this is the center of your universe right
1: (laughs) it's not for me yet so I need to talk to you (laughs) you got to get me there right bring me in bring me into the center tell me why I need to be here besides the cookies yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> Please. Yeah,
1: I think he was like, I messaged him because I was helping another friend with a different anti MLM podcast. I was like hot off your podcast. And I was like, Robert Fitzpatrick would be a great guest. And they're like, if you think you could get him. Yeah. And I was like, I'll just email him. So I emailed him. And I was like, what's he gonna say? No. And what he said was, well, I'd be willing to consider it if you would be willing to hop on a chat with me and talk with me about what you know about this subject first. I was like, yeah, totally. And I think it took maybe 20 minutes. And he was like, okay, you know what you're talking about. And then we talked for like two hours. Oh, God, that guy can talk. <laughs> he was writing Ponzianomics at the time. And he was up in his like cabin on the East Coast. And he was like, oh, I have the time to chat. I was like, okay. <laughs> he gets so fired up. No shade to Robert Fitzpatrick. We all love him. We do.
2: But like, what if I said no to Joe Mariano? <sighs> You know what I mean? Like the right. the most pro MLM person in the world, I said, "Hell yes, please,
1: <laughs> right? Please come talk to me." Yeah, I would love that conversation. Well, here's an interesting question because there have been several—I'll just call them big baddies—that come on your show and sort of spill their guts. The way that Mark and D.N. spilled their guts, and Lula Rich or Billy McFarland spilled his guts in Fire Fraud. Yep. How do you yeah. convince these big baddies? To talk to you okay I'm gonna
2: go back to the, a thing I said previously but I am fully a hundred percent convicted that big baddies don't know or care that's how I would characterize them and you don't end up a big baddie if you shy away from a million listeners of something right like just look at our former president right like that guy doesn't say no to anything if there's an audience. So Joe, like Joe Mariano, the first season, he didn't show up until like halfway through the season when he saw that it was a really popular show. And so he and his press office saw that and were like, hey, 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 come on now. Don't be mean. <laughs> and that's how that was his whole attitude for the two hours. Was right. Jane. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, he showed up halfway through. And then once we had the audience numbers, it's not been hard really at all. And people don't do... People who are like that aren't thinking that you're
1: going to best them at anything.
2: And moreover, they're not thinking that if you bested them, that the people that they care about would care. Okay. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, it actually
2: does. You know, if I get a bad person to come on, a bad person, but, you know, one of these, one of my mortal enemies, one of my, <laughs> <laughs> if I ask them to come on the show, They're likely to say yeah because they crave the attention or whatever, just like everybody else. And then if I win an argument with them, they're not likely to see it that way. And they're also not likely to see it as something that their following would care about at all. Right. It's very us versus them mindset is so, they've dug their heels in so far. I feel like that what could little of me do? The only possibility in their mind is that they come in and beat me at some argument. Right. Which is my favorite thing.
1: But again, you're the producer and you hold all the keys. That's what they're thinking will happen. Right.
2: Which I'm totally fine with.
1: Well, I mean, it makes sense because I'm assuming that these people also aren't vetting the way Robert Fitzpatrick vets. So they're probably not Googling you and Googling Jane Marie, the dream and going, what is this podcast even about? No. Oh, it's about, oh, I'm not going to do this. Like they're like, they're not, they're just like, Oh, it's a popular podcast. Oh, did you see there are all these really popular podcasts? Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show everybody the truth. Yeah. It's that. But also, like I said, I really don't
2: put yourself in the position of somebody who like runs one of these MLMs, right? Do you have (laughs) self-awareness? Do you have, and I'm making a blanket statement here, but even Michelle Gay from Lime Life, when she was turning me down for an interview, said some stuff in emails that I was like, are you 12? Like there was no, it wasn't professional sounding. It wasn't, she offered no facts, no information. It was a very, I got like a couple of very emotional emails. Our emails were super straightforward, like press requests. You know, they're just boring. Like, do you want to come on the show? The last one we sent to her was like, okay, well, we've done all of our reporting now. And she was like, I would only talk to you if you would come to me in the beginning. And I
1: was like, what are you and my ex-boyfriend? Like, what's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> like, I think anybody who's ever, like, left a comment on a post and received a wall of text, like a novel, yeah. completely understands this moment.
2: That's what it feels like. But that's kind of
1: what the bad guys do. Right. Yeah, it is, it's yeah. A very interesting.
2: They have to be okay in their badness or they wouldn't be as famous and rich as they are, right? Like they have to be okay in continuing to act like themselves.
1: Right. Well, I mean, a lot of these people who become influencers or become this mega hun, this trope of themselves, this character that they're playing, it, they have to play that character. Yeah. They have to be that all the time. And it's the show. It's not themselves. It's exhausting. I remember having to do the LuLaRoe show and just being like, oh, my God, I'm dead. I'm dead for the rest of the night.
2: Oh, I love your TikToks, by the way, with Humberta. It's like one of my favorite things to watch on TikTok is you critiquing your old lives. It's so perfect. That could be like a TV show. Just people watching themselves and they're like most embarrassing.
1: I mean... The reason I I do that is because I want to make that kind of commentary, like, what are you doing? But I don't want to make that commentary on people I don't know or people that don't understand. So it's like really hard for me to like, quote, make fun of someone, but it's really easy for me to make fun of myself. Well, also, when I'm talking about
2: the bad guys and the assholes who don't know their assholes, I'm not talking about people who are doing these gigs. Right. Not the victims. I'm talking about the people who run this industry, right? These industries. I'm talking about Gwyneth Paltrow (laughs) specifically. (laughs) Man, I keep talking about her, and like, I've never heard a thing, really. But I just keep doing it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like you and me who get you know suckered into something. I'm not right. That's normal. That's absolutely normal.
1: We're talking about the serial people who know what they're doing, who are hopping from company to company, whether they're the top of the pyramid or whether they're the CEO of the pyramid. That reminds me of
2: something. When you asked, like, how do I think it's going unless there's a new government agency that's formed? I know that these people will just move on to something else. If they get their MLM shut down, most of them start another one. (laughs) And maybe it's like a... They have a shell company and their wife is the president of the next one or their brother-in-law or whatever.
1: And they just, that's how they want to make their money. Right. It's like the Billy McFarland thing where people are like, how are people falling for this? What is he doing now? I know I've been watching your videos, but like, what is he doing? He hasn't posted anything in a while. He's so quiet. And he hasn't changed. No.
2: Why do people not change? That's what this new season's about.
1: There's a whole generation of people who don't know who he is, who are falling for his scam. And I'm like, he's done this before.
2: Again, like I've done reporting from Wall Street after the crash in 2008. They're not different. These that I've interviewed were just like, if you were smart, you'd still be rich after the crash. You would have just taken shorts on everything. Like you would have done what I did.
1: (sighs) I know. I know. So another question, Dave is like, I put questions out. You already answered this, but I just want to read it because it's funny. But the question he he's talking about the book, he goes, you have a book coming. This is like verbatim. This is Dave. You have a book coming out. You're in the third season of the podcast. Is this the end of Jane Marie's work on the dream? Or is there still more juice in the jug?
2: Babe, I've got street juice. You know, Dave. I've got juice for days. I've got so much juice. I've got so much juice. <laughs> Yeah, she's juicy. I mean, if someone pays me for my juice, I might, I might take a day off or two. But no, right now, look, (laughs) there was a New York Times (laughs) article about the show came out this weekend, and Ira Glass, who is my dear friend and just I love him so much, but you know we haven't worked together in ten years or so. We have like in small ways, but I didn't work. And I used to be right next to his office. Like we were attached at the hip and I was like, you know, we just talked every single day, all day long. For this review of the show this season, he told the reporter like that I have, the thing about me is that I have a deep sense of injustice (laughs) that I, for someone who thinks that life isn't fair or something like that, who believes like, this isn't fair. He's like, she's also charismatically funny that was his whole comment on me. Like, yeah, man, she's a whiner, but I'm, I can't get away from that part of my personality. No matter what happens. Like I still just feel
1: like, but there's another bad guy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That what a great compliment from Ira. What do I have to lose? That's a great compliment. It was nice. Yeah.
2: You got to read it in context. It feels a little when it's you, you know, you're just like, that's not fair.
1: I never said that, Ira. (laughs) So I have another question from Dave. It's wordy and it's lengthy, but it sort of ties in a lot of the topics that I talk about on this show as well. So Dave says The grander narrative that links the dream together for me is the concept of a collective dream and its ability to survive logic, despite the glaring evidence that it's all more a racket than magic and pixie dust. How does this podcast speak to fundamental problems with broader narratives with the American dream, like prosperity gospel and wealth creation across the world? Come again, Dave. (laughs) He's very fancy. So I think he just wants to know how your podcast sort of impacts the conversation about these deeper fundamental problems that we have with, quote, the American dream what I'll say to Dave and what I think Dave likes about the show is that it, we have the conversation.
2: Right. That's how it impacts it is having the conversation. I think so too. Holding people to account, holding their feet to the fire, talking openly and honestly about the facts, you know, of scams. I think there's a and I there's nothing wrong with approaching scams, cults, MLMs, all that stuff with like a more sensational angle. Like I think that's probably where a lot of the popular interest comes from. But just attacking it with the, with facts and with character studies, history and empathy, you know, understanding all of that stuff. Like, I feel like that's where my show lives. Yeah, is in the. It's an educational show. <laughs> no, it absolutely is. Absolutely. And if any of these industries went away, fine, I would just go to the next one. <laughs>
1: There's people are like, what would you do? People are like, oh, you're so anti MLM. You're trying to cancel them. You're trying to get them shut down. What would you do? And I was like, are you freaking? Fr-? I I talk to victims.
2: Real estate, student loans, healthcare. <laughs> there's a million things. <laughs> well, but
1: do you think the victims cease to exist when we stop an industry? Like, there's still victims. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll talk about the next intersection of these scams. We'll talk about the next thing. Like, I'll come after the next religion or the next cult or the next scam or the next fraudster. Yeah. Like, it's never going to end. It's one of the oldest. We should start. I want to start calling them capitalist cults. Ooh yeah. Capitalist cults or commercial cults. All of those
2: things. I think commercial makes people like it goes into more of a corner. I think capitalism calls ourselves out. Yeah, like
1: we all believe in capitalism, right? I mean, capitalist cults does work. It changes the narrative slightly. It's the same, but I think it like it loops in a couple other people, and it, it's a buzzword for people who are paying attention. They're like capitalist cults. <gasps> oh, like this and this. You're like, yes, it's exactly like those. Yeah, absolutely. I have people that ask me a lot of times. Like they're like, well, are MLMs cults? And I'm like, yeah, you know. They're like, oh, I I can see that, and like learning and it's just it's wild and from somebody who like really was listening to the dream in my car as i'm driving to try to expose another mlm to somebody who like gets it and understands it and is making content actively about this now like the last seven years the growth of people getting it of people waking up of people saying oh my god yeah is this play about us like (laughs) here's the thing roberta I will say, I think a lot of
2: people were awake the whole time. Yes. But it's so shrouded in shame. It is so difficult to see yourself as yeah. having been duped because then you have to admit you duped others. That's what Jennifer talks about really well in this series. She does, we have two episodes where she goes into great detail about how horrible she feels that she scammed other people by using the same language that. Was used on her, right? And it's not like she fully
1: wasn't aware, right? There's an ick, and and even talking to people, I say, you know, like, what what was the first red flag? What was the first thing that made you go, "That's weird"? That you hid. Listen, I have HPV of all sorts. I did get a leap procedure
2: a couple years ago, and I've had some clear Pap smears. Okay, right? But HPV, everyone has it, and you have to like be the person that's it's like yeah i have all the worst v- variations of hpv like I d- whatever right to for people to be like oh everyone has it it's okay to say you have hpv it's not like a creepy gross std it's like right it's just a thing that everybody has it's like chickenpox right. or whatever although that's herpes but you know it's like a it's like having a cold like 90% something more than that people have this and we've been shamed by the same people that shame you into thinking you need to work hard in an MLM. Yeah. Yeah, think about that for a minute. But those people don't let you talk about it. But then as soon as you start talking about it, oh my gosh, look, there's a vaccine. Oh my gosh, there's commercials on TV with teen girls getting vaccinated against the worst HPV. Wonderful. Right. No one's embarrassed anymore. We all feel great. We all get leap procedures. We all, you know, like there's things you can do. Not everyone's dying of cervical cancer, although I know some people still are, but, you know, it's gone down. Right. And it's just... Awareness. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, awareness. It's just
1: being able to l- see yourself.
2: and But th- it's hard to be the one being like, I'm the bad guy. It's
1: hard that Jennifer did a hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer's amazing. She came on the show last year and really poured her heart out, and she's incredible. Her and Julie Anderson... Just go hard for Ray and I'm here for it. She's a wonderful person. And you, I keep forgetting to
2: say you, but you went on that documentary. That's right. I was. (laughs) (laughs) And you put your hand up and said, okay, like this might be mortifying to admit, but I was a scammer for a little bit there. Yeah. I bought into the whole thing. I brought other people in and I feel ashamed but i also am not going to wallow in my shame i'm going to do something about it which is wonderful and admirable even doing that first step though is like really scary
1: absolutely really scary yeah absolutely and i think you know like they want to keep us quiet when the first person that steps up and goes i did it and someone else says well that happened to me too and that happened to me too and all of a sudden there's support groups and there's movements and there's podcasts and there's documentaries and people are seeing themselves in that reflection and going oh I was in Amway, I was in Mary Kay, oh my gosh, my friend lost a bunch of money, my mom did this, like, and people connect, and it's a personal connection, it's not like, you know, something that they heard or happened, like, generations or whatever, like, it's happening right now, they're seeing it on their FYP, people are having bomb parties, people are saying, hire me as a coach, buy my $11 course, my essential oils cure blindness, and you don't need glasses anymore, and weird things like that, it's happening right now, yeah, yeah, you cannot get away from it. Like no. you can block them and ban them and scroll on, but they'll come back and you'll see them again. And then if you spend too much time on the algorithm like somebody like me, then it's always there and you can't get away from it because you ruin your algorithm doing research. Uh, look, half of my feed is bomb parties now. <laughs> I was like, I feel like I need like a throwaway TikTok just so my algorithm doesn't screwed up. I know. Like, oh no, I'm on a dark path. Like, get back to the sunshine. I don't need any more, like, TikTok AI bots and bomb fizz parties. I'm done. (laughs) It's obnoxious.
2: (laughs) (sighs) I still fall for the bomb fizz parties, but only because I think the jewelry is so hideous. I like watching them go, like, ooh, and then, like, showing you a ring, and you're like, what? This
1: came from, like, Chuck E. Cheese. Bomb Party reminds me the most of LuLaRoe in terms of... I bet. The craze. Rapid expansion. Yes. How fast it goes, the mystery of what are we going to get today? And then also just like the blatant lying when you have to, on a live, pretend that it's the best thing you've ever seen. You're like, this ring is gorgeous. I'm like, everybody wants pants with clowns on them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: how they all have their own playlist going in the background how they all like they it consumes their lives like the okay the way they yell at their husbands oh my god right it's wild like i need new water i need new water and it's like <laughs> if you had enough money going on from this like would you be that kind of grumpy and snipping at some like You're supposed to be having fun. Like this is supposed to be like a fun, easy way to make money. Why are you yelling at this dude that also just got home from work? Right. Someone needs to feed the kids. Anyway, whatever.
1: (laughs) It's so triggering. It's like LuLaRoe all over again. And I watch it and I'm just like, nobody sees it but me. Nobody sees it. But I mean, I know other anti-Ambeline people, but I'm just like, this is LuLaRoe with rings and jewelry. This is paparazzi and LuLaRoe had a baby. Like it's just (laughs) wild. So before I get to my rapid fire questions, which okay. will be pretty quick, I just wanted to say one of my Patreon members said, I just have a ton of gratitude for season one. It was my first major eye opener that helped me understand what the hell that I had just been through. Thank you. I, it is so important
2: to hear, like realizing you've been victimized, realizing you've been you've victimized others coming out and saying it, you know, to more than just those people it's hard and i really appreciate when people give me any sort of feedback it's nice i kind of live in a vacuum it's there's no interaction on podcasts right i mean there's you can leave a bad review but it takes a week to like show up and you know all that so it's not like tiktok it's not like comments are coming underneath my podcast all the right. time i just kind of throw it out there and cross my fingers so i really appreciate anyone who listens i also i'm glad that it reached the right people because that was something I was worried about when we first came out, was that it was going to be preaching to the choir, that we wouldn't be talking to the people who really need it.
1: You really validated everything I was feeling in the moment where I was like, nobody understands what I'm going through. And to hear your voice and the story of Limelight and the story that Robert tells about everything, that holiday magic and neutral light and everything. And for me to be listening to this going, I knew it. Like, I, I knew it. I'm not crazy. Of course you did. Yeah. Of course you did. It was that. And I was just like, this chick gets it. I like her. I like her a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I like you a lot too. <laughs> okay. So at the end of all my episodes, we do rapid fire. And I just want to ask you what you think about a couple things. Okay. Okay. One word that encompasses how you feel about multi level marketing. Blah. Is that a word? <laughs> You're the writer. <laughs> Yikes. Zoinkies. <laughs> <Zoinks>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I'd be like, womp, 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 womp.
1: that one. <laughs> if you ask my daughter, it would be, womp, womp. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> her favorite one. Give me a warning to somebody who wants to join an MLM. Listen to the dream. Seriously? <laughs> like, it's so
2: easy to say. And then you're off the hook. Totally. I'm not kidding. Like, you're totally off the hook. You'd be like, ain't no podcasts you know joe Joe rogan it's just like joe rogan
1: (laughs) just like it's like you can tell that
2: mlm person it's like you know joe rogan right there's a podcast about this it's called the dream (laughs) and then it's on me and then they can bring their anger and ire at me if they are angry
1: i mean i you're not the first person that has been the answer (laughs) interestingly enough so sweet (laughs) Listen to the dream. I'm like, got it. What is the worst MLM in your opinion? Oh, what? If you had to choose. The DSA.
2: (laughs) The US government. (laughs) Capitalism.
1: Capitalism. Yeah. Wall Street. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Coaching. Wellness. Absolutely. What is the hardest lesson that you learned researching multi-level marketing? Oh, this is... (sighs) That my family's not stupid. <laughs> right. I get it. You are like, they're so dumb. Why are they doing this? And then you do the research and, and you're, you're like, like oh, oh, it's not them, actually. I just got a lot
2: more empathy for my friends and family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then give me a positive takeaway from all of your MLM research. Exactly that.
2: Is I just have so much empathy. Like my, again, my anger is directed at the very top everyone else involved you are not at fault at all you have done nothing wrong you you might have done small things wrong and if you can come to terms with that and make good on it then okay but that's not who I'm mad at I'm not mad at people who want to like afford life and have bought the idea that this is one way to do it not mad at that at all so that was really wonderful
1: I just I want to say thank you. I know we've chatted so many times, but this is the first time that we've gotten to sit down and record and chat like this. And it was such a delight to spend the afternoon with you and to just have these conversations. So I really appreciate everything from today, everything that you did to pave the way to allow me because, hey, without you having the like the first anti-amiline podcast, I probably you probably were the first anti-amiline podcast. There would never have been the next and the next, and which eventually lent me going, you know what I should start? An anti-AMLU podcast. So I I thank you for that. Yeah. It's the thing to do, man. Everyone should do it. (laughs) Everyone should do it. (laughs) Everybody. Join my team. I'll tell you all my secrets.
2: (laughs) I appreciate it so much. It was lovely talking to you again. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Life After I'm Alone. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our Triple Emerald Princess of Robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in Life After MLM. See you next time, Hans.